You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at thebannerchurch.com. Morning already, amen. I love what we just sing about who God is. Isn't that so refining of our thinking and in our minds? It is really, it is a blessing to sing about who God is. And I'm, I'm excited. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Josh. Lead pastor here, my wife, um, she would be with us today. She's actually feeling a little ill, and you know, she doesn't have COVID, don't worry. <laughs> we checked. Uh, but uh, we, we're lead pastors here, and it's just such an honor. I was thinking about the church this weekend, and just so thankful for everybody, and uh, so excited for what God's doing. And, and first service, God answered one of my big prayers and, and leading somebody from our, our Love the Block team here uh, to do the hearts of the Lord and to, and to really receive um, what He has. And I was just been really just in that space blown away by just the goodness of God today. So uh, I'm excited to share. And I thought, man, what a, what a good way to continue our series today by just reading the Beatitudes over you. So I just want to read this Matthew 5, uh, 1 through 12 as we begin. And I just encourage you to put yourself in a posture to just receive. Maybe you've never been in church. And so I just encourage you to just sit there. Maybe if you want to focus and hear the words and not be distracted by the windows or somebody, you know, scooting by or whatever, you can close your eyes. Maybe you worked a night shift, and so if you close your eyes, you're done for. So maybe you can keep those things open. Uh, maybe you like to be in a posture, put your physical posture in mind with your heart. And sometimes I just hold my hands out just in a posture of receiving and aligns my heart. But I just want to read this over. Is that okay this morning? Good, okay. Matthew 5, 1, it says this. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up to the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for, the, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray today. God, we thank you so much for your word. Holy Spirit, I pray as we walk through the word of God today, would you just reveal the truth of who the Lord is more fervently upon our heart that we receive a deeper revelation of the love of God and the mercy of God in our lives today. But we leave not just informed, but transformed by your goodness to do that. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Hey, can we thank the worship team this morning? What an awesome job. Thank you, worship team. We are so blessed. And I knew it was going to be good during pre-service prayer. I feel like if you ever want to know, like, if services, worship is going to just be just banging, uh, come to pre-service prayer. It was so good. Alex, like, writing songs. <laughs> and, uh, our, our men's director, David, led pre-service prayer. It was just so good. Yes. Handsome and gifted. Oh, he's not in here. Now it feels weird. But her, his wife is, so that counts. <laughs> Uh, I'm excited to continue our Better Blessing series. Last, uh, last week we talked about those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. And one of the big things we've been talking about, just to kind of give you a little context if this is your first time, is we've been talking about how every part of the Beatitudes actually builds on each other. So Jesus is teaching a sermon, and then any good sermon or sermon series, the things, you know, go together. And so we talked about how it starts with being poor in spirit. 
being poor in spirit, to, to recognize the state of our own brokenness right before God. And then it goes into mourning, and specifically he's talking to those who were mourning the state of brokenness of the world and for them of Israel, for they will be comforted. And the comfort that comes is through the Savior Jesus Christ, right? And then after that, he talks about uh, blessed are uh, those, sorry, I lost my place. Uh, the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who not only uh, recognize their need for a Savior, but allow that to inspire the way they treat others, right? To be meek. And we talked about how that unfortunately rhymes with meek, but it takes a lot of strength to be meek, right? And so uh, that kind of culminated with this idea that that is the kind of person that then hungers and thirsts for righteousness. And the blessing that we receive from God is that when we hunger and thirst for righteousness, He fills us. And we kind of have these then descriptive qualities that follow of righteousness, being merciful, being uh, a, a pure in heart before God, and being a peacemaker. And so these are kind of the three things that we're then told later in verse 10 that we'll be persecuted for that kind of righteousness. But we're not there yet, and maybe I'll make someone else preach that message. But, uh, <laughs> but today we're going to talk about Matthew 5, 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Uh, some... Some of us, we like to work together over at SIP uh, Coffee uh, on Tuesdays, and so I'll do some of my, like, pre-prep research for the sermon, because I like to be around people, and uh, so if I'm doing research, I like to have other people there as well, so I don't get distracted. Um, I know that sounds weird. Some of you like to go in solitude. I like to be around people, because my brain's weird, um, but we were there, and I was trying to research mercy, so I'd like to read to you what... Uh, the articles that I found from the world's perspective say about mercy. Cool? Okay, cool. Here's what they say. Ready? Nothing. <laughs> nothing. I found nothing. <laughs> I, I used, and I used Google. Like, I, I, I went to our tech overlords, and I used their method of <laughs> discovering information from the internet, which I assume is foolproof, um, but I found nothing. <laughs> Meaning this, every article I found about mercy uh, was a Christian article. I, and I deep dove. I was like page six. You know if you get into page six of Google, you got to have that safe search filter on, right? <laughs> it's either weird music or Christian articles. And we're the only think about it, like mercy is not a word we use a lot culturally, right? Like when was the last time like someone's, you heard someone describe another person as merciful? Like, wow, that person is so merciful, Right? It's like, that's, like, how are you feeling today? Merciful. That should scare you. If you ask somebody if how they're feeling today, if you ask your spouse, how are you feeling today? And they go, merciful. And they make uninterrupted eye contact. They were plotting vengeance. You need to go around your house. You need to look and make sure the socks are put away. The garbage is gone, right? You need to check yourself because someone's plotting, right? If I ask my wife, hey, honey, how are you feeling today? And she looked at me and was like, merciful. I would be concerned. But my wife's a savage, so, you know, that's how it works. <laughs> I would assume that was sarcasm. Um, but it's an interesting word. Culturally, we don't use it a lot. Uh, and I think we've kind of seen the effects of a culture that does not express the word mercy very often. Right, one of the, one of the topics that I feel like is discussed a lot and comes up a lot now is the idea of cancel culture. It's kind of like a, a buzzword. And so I understand some of you guys are triggered by words, and you're watching online too, and you're going to click away and, you know, tweet about this or, you know, uh, share something on Facebook. I just encourage you, make it through the whole thing, and I'll explain. Cool? We can do that? Okay, good. Don't check out yet. 
But cancel culture is an interesting uh, phenomenon. Cancel culture has kind of always existed in one shape or form. There's always been a group of people that have decided like, okay, this person can't do business for this reason or can't be in the public sphere for this reason, whether fair or unfair or just or unjust. It's always kind of existed. But social media has kind of made this into a, a really unique phenomenon. I don't know if you guys have are like watching this unfold. Have you seen the monster grow, so to speak? Right? It, it's interesting. Uh, the digital kind of um, policing or um, canceling that we have now is an interesting trend to follow. And I was reading an article that was kind of trying to backtrack uh, through social media and digital mediums and forums uh, why cancel culture has grown as it has grown. And interestingly enough, one of the places that cancel culture really took off was in China. And uh, I don't know the Mandarin word. Well, I read the Mandarin word, but I feel weird saying it because a lot of tonality in Mandarin. I tried to learn Mandarin, and it didn't work. Um, but it translates poorly, poorly, mind you, as, <laughs> I don't know how to say this any different, flesh search. Now, that's going to sound weird, and it should, but here's essentially how this began years ago on internet forums, is that uh, people would, um, they would use it as a tool for, uh, uh, accountability is not the right word, for keeping people in line in communist China. So, like, for instance, like, I bought this watch at the Fossil Outlet for $40, but let's say this was a Rolex, um, and I was a government official, and you saw that Rolex, you'd be like, wait a second, that watch is way more than your pay grade. Are you taking bribes? And so they would go on these, these discovery journeys, and then they would cancel these officials, and China cancels people a little differently, um, but they were canceled nonetheless. But in America, cancel culture has grown a lot out of pop culture. Like the earliest ideas of canceling have come out of rap lyrics, right? I won't share them for you, but you can just believe me that it comes from there. <laughs> um, uh, you're like, how do you know that? It's like, because I listen to rap music. But that's not the point. It comes out of pop culture. And a lot of it now has kind of grown into this responsive element to people doing things uh, that we feel are unjust or wrong or just, like, counters what we believe. So it's like, Kanye did this. Kanye's music is canceled. I was listening to a song about Kanye, to, you know, by Kanye, but he did this, so he's canceled. I'm not saying that, but you understand the principle, right? So we grew into this idea of, like, somebody does this, and they're canceled. And, and it... It grew out of, I think, a desire for accountability or a desire to respond to something, but now it's like a monster, right? So they grew, there might have been justice at the root, but it has like swallowed mercy. Are you with me? Like this thing is, it is crazy how quick, and the funny thing to me, the, the sadly humorous thing is that it doesn't actually hurt famous people, right? Like I, I'm blown away by how many comedians, I was looking at a list of how many like comedians and people got swept swept up in real controversy and then we're back performing like six months later musicians and stuff it was like they got swept into different move movements and then people were like yeah but they're funny or yeah but i like their music like they don't get canceled like normal people like us get canceled right i don't know if you guys are movie stars i haven't seen you in anything lately but <laughs> normal people like me right and i and i understand that it's easy for us to go online and attack cancel culture, but I think it's more important that we step back and just ask why. I mean, right? Should we analyze, why is this so big? Why? Why has it grown so, so large? It's like, people are dumb. That can't be your answer. This next generation is so blank. That can't be the answer. We have to step back and go, 
Why? And so I think a couple reasons. <laughs> One, I think social media makes it feel good to be enraged. Makes you feel good to get mad about something. My brother-in-law is very active on social media, and he was telling me about, he read an article about how easily we are enraged about things on social media, and he's like, "Man, I can't believe this!" and posted it on Facebook. Right? <laughs> it's a self kind of fulfilling prophecy. But I think it makes it easy to feel enraged. It gives us this platform. It, it's easy. There's really no what we see as immediate physical consequences to yelling about somebody on the Internet, right? So-and-so this, so-and-so that, so-and-so this, right? It's easy to get enraged quickly, and then it's there. And even if you delete it, can I tell you, it still lives on the Internet, right? That's one. And I think it's easy to stop there and go, this is just culture, they're trying to do this. But I think if we were to look at the second, I think there's another reason. I think there is a profound disparity of justice in the world. And I think deep down, though we get it wrong often, I think there's a cry for justice. Could you give me enough grace to explain this? Because I think it's important. I think in our world, and in this next generation especially, there is a cry for justice. There is a disparity. If you look at the world, you must be blind to not see that there is a disparity of justice in the world. I know we're not traveling a lot right now, but you don't have to go far to see there's a disparity of justice. And I know. I get it. As soon as I say justice... Anybody is going to be like, oh, social justice warrior, social justice, SJW, blah, 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 blah. Let me tell you, a lot of the Bible is about justice. You can call whatever you want. Me and JC, we shake the labels off. Not worried about it. But I think there's something that should stir up inside of us that says the world is groaning and yearning for true justice. The world is longing for true justice. The hard part is the world is broken and imperfect, and so is the justice. So there's a yearning within us, and there's a longing within us for justice. We're kind of like an abused dog in a shelter kennel. Like, we want to come out. We want something good. But there's so much trauma in our history that we just start biting things, even if they are going to be good for us. And then it just circles back around. And so there is a longing. Can I, can I say this? If you're a believer, I want to speak to you today. If you're a believer today. We cannot dismiss cries for justice. And we also cannot dismiss cries for mercy. It's a paradox, justice and mercy. I don't know if you knew this, if you're a believer, Christianity is a paradox, right? We, serve, we follow a Jesus who was fully man and fully God. Okay, that's a paradox. We're okay wrestling with that. How about, how about this? Death and life is a paradox. In order to live, you must die to yourself. That's a paradox, right? We have to live in the resurrection, so we have to die to ourselves. There's a new birth. That's a paradox. How about grace and truth? How many of you walk in that paradox daily, right? You got to give grace, but in truth. Oh, okay. That's a big deal. But I think this is important. I think that we must wrestle with the paradox of justice and mercy. I think it's worth wrestling with. 
right? I think it's worth that the church be tough enough, right, to just WWE, get in there, just, oh, brother, just get in there and wrestle with this thing, right? You know what I'm talking about. Round for round, pound for pound, get in and wrestle with difficult things. Stop pretending because you can't sum it up in 160 characters that it's not worth talking about because it makes you uncomfortable. It's not good because it flies in the face of something that some YouTube personality told you and made you feel nice that it's not. It's worth it to wrestle with it. Amen? It's worth it to struggle with it because only through mercy is God's perfect justice realized. They require each other, justice and mercy. And can I tell you, God values both justice and mercy. So I think we should wrestle. Who wants to wrestle? Not, not figuratively. Don't come up and wrestle me. I've seen some of y'all. You're ripped. Please don't fight me. Spiritually, we'll wrestle. <laughs> God values justice and mercy. He values justice and mercy. And we need real versions of both. We don't need dismissive mercy, and we don't need uh, twisted justice. Right? We don't need to cancel anybody. That's not what we're here to do. We're here to restore everybody. We're not here to cancel you because of a mistake. We don't exist to cancel people because they have sinned, but to recognize that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but because Jesus Christ are restored through mercy. So let's talk about this. Let's talk about this. I, I'm not sure how you see God. One of my favorite questions to ask people in small group is, how do you see God? How do you see God? Just, just being honest. Some, some people will be like really honest, be like, you know what? Like when I read God the Father, I do not get a good picture in my mind. Right? Like my father was not, um, not me, but someone will read and be like, you know, like God, my father was not kind to me or nice. Maybe you didn't have a father who, who, was, who was caring or embracing. So you're like, God the Father does not give me the image. I struggle with that. Maybe you kind of go with that, that idea that God is distant and angry. He's got, that, he's got that Zeus vibe, right, up on the cloud. And it's just like, man, you just better watch out. If you actually let a curse word go in church, he's going to get those lightning bolts and be like, skook, right? Right out of the pew, right out of the seat. That thing's going to fold up and your ashes are going to go up like a fragrance to the Lord. <laughs> Some of you live in that fear, right? That's God to you. It's like, man, hopefully he descends and gets me out of this mess. But, you know, turns out I'm just, you know, kind of what my dad said about me. I'm kind of an idiot and yet, right? But it's hard. Those of you who know who God really is, though, you, you might actually see him as he is, as, as someone who is kind, as someone who is just, as someone who is mighty and merciful, who is strong and good, who created the universe and yet intimately holds and knows your life. But one way I want to make, make sure that we see God as an essential quality of his is that God is merciful. Before we talk about you being merciful and me being merciful, I think it's important that we understand that God is merciful. Someone say merciful. God is merciful. Let me explain. Mercy is one of God's essential qualities. I want to go through some scripture. Can we do that today? Okay. Mercy is one of God's essential qualities. When Moses uh, leads the people out of Israel, he goes up to the mountain. He's going to meet with God, like big deal stuff here. Presence of God, mountain, like boom, in the desert experiences. It says in Exodus 34 that God passes before him, and he, God declares something about himself. You should pay attention when God says something about himself because he's being serious. He's not playing around. He says this, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with Moses, stood with him there, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God 
merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Deuteronomy 4.31 says, For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. God is merciful. It's not something he puts on. It's not, he doesn't like get dressed up or like have to work himself up to be merciful. He is mercy. God is mercy. God is merciful. Are you with me? Okay. Not only that, but mercy is God's delight. Micah 7.18 says, Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgressions of the remnant of his inheritance. You do not stay angry forever, forever, but delight to show mercy. Listen, no one is forcing God to be merciful to you. Amen? Like, it's not like when you have a sibling and your parents are like, hey, you need to apologize, and you're like, I'm sorry. And they're like, no, 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 say it like you mean it. And you're like, no, I don't mean it. Right? <laughs> it's not like, not like there's like, God, there's like another God who's like, God, you know, be merciful to them. And he's like, fine, but they're so mean and they never pay attention to me, right? <laughs> like, he delights in showing mercy, right? God, it is his delight to be merciful. It not only is not like unmotivated, but he is motivated by his deep love for you. He delights in you. Did you know that? That God delights in you. If you say God is distant and separate from your life, let me tell you, he intimately cares about you. He delights in you. He delights in giving you mercy. And he is the father of mercies. Some of you are like, my father was not a father of mercies. Well, let me give you someone better who can give you a better example, and that is God, who is the father of mercies. 2 Corinthians 1.3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, or my scripture says, mercy, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles, that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Okay, if you're having a conversation with somebody and they say a word four times, you should pay attention. Right? Ben, talking to your wife. She says something four times. That word means something. Key in. Right? <laughs> Look at that. It says the God of mercies will comfort you. And so you can comfort others with the comfort you have received. Man, does that sound like an angry Zeus figure up there just, just firing lightning bolts out? Does that sound like a distant God who doesn't like you, puts up with you? No. It sounds like a God of mercy. In fact, God is rich in mercy. Ephesians 2, 4 says this. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you have been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Amen? I was singing too much in worship. I, like, lost my voice here. Lower these keys for me, Alec. <clears throat> God is merciful and gracious. I think these two words are important. Psalm 103 tells us, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. What's the difference between mercy and grace? Because they, they, they are different. Have you ever thought about that? Like, we have a lot of scriptures and they jump back and forth, mercy and grace. But he's both and both are important. Okay. Mercy is the act of withholding judgment. Mercy is the act of withholding judgment. Grace 
is the act of giving unmerited favor. Very close, but different. Mercy withholds punishment. Grace gives unmerited favor. Two sides of the same coin of the love of the Father. Think of it like this. All of us have sinned. Scripture tells us, all of us. I've sinned, you've sinned, all of us. If you're watching online, you've sinned. I know you're like, I'm perfect. I'm even watching online during a pandemic. You still sinned. It's okay. All of us have sinned. I've sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We have a debt of shame that we cannot pay. But And God in his perfection will judge the earth. Because of our rebellion, it separates our imperfect sin and his perfection. And so he will judge the earth. But because of God's immeasurable mercy, rather than the punishment we deserve for our sin and the judgment we deserve for our sin, though he would be just in giving it because we have rebelled, he gives us his son as the act of mercy. And Jesus takes upon himself on the cross, he takes the, he drinks the cup of wrath. He drinks the price for our sin. He takes the pain and the suffering because he is perfect and he is the sacrifice for us. And he is lowered in death and he raises again because he is fully God on the third day and he invites us in to the resurrection. He sent his son to pay the price to take our debt. Are you with me? This is why the gospel is so powerful, because though we deserve punishment, we received mercy. And then, as if that was not enough, God gave us grace by bringing us into unmerited favor because he didn't just make us servants or slaves to sit at the doorstep of heaven and hope that a little crack of light might come through and fall upon our shoulder, but he brought us in to the throne room and has us sit with his son, Jesus Christ, as co-heirs. Listen to this. You chose sinful rebellion. I chose sinful rebellion, and yet God chose in mercy to send his son because he loves me to adopt me into his family and to adopt you into his family that we might become royalty with Jesus Christ. That's crazy, right? You're like, that's almost unbelievable. I know that's how good God is. That through mercy and grace, he brings us in. Mercy gives us grace and forgiveness instead of punishment. I want that to change the way you see God. I want that to change the way you believe God sees you. You're like, I, I don't believe that I deserve anything. Exactly perfect. It's not about what we deserve. It's about what God has given because of his great love for us. I like, I like history. Any history fans here? Okay, good. That was good. That was a good response. Don't laugh. I like history. You're like, nerds. Like, no, we could like history, guys. Come on, history fans. <laughs> yeah, like Vikings and stuff, right? Well, I like revolutions. <laughs> I don't know what, that, what part of that personality, you know, my personality that taps into, but I love studying revolutions. And uh, uh, one of the interesting ones to me is the French Revolution because it is absolute chaos. Absolute chaos. And it ends with Napoleon basically just being... <laughs> kind of the worst. Um, but there's an interesting story about a woman who comes to Napoleon. So a mother uh, comes to Napoleon seeking a pardon for her son. And the emperor replies that the young man had committed a crime twice and that justice demanded death. It says, but I don't ask for justice, the mother explained. I plead for mercy. 
But your son does not deserve mercy, Napoleon said. Sir, the woman cried, it would not be mercy if he deserved it. And mercy is all I ask for. Well, then the emperor said, I will have mercy. And he spared the woman's son. Are you following me today? That we deserve judgment, but God has given us mercy and grace and forgiveness. And so when we accept that mercy and grace and forgiveness, it stirs something in our heart. And we begin to treat others. And we're called to treat others. And Jesus has commanded us to treat others with the mercy we have received. Not as a gift for accepting it, but as the quality of character that shows we have received it. Luke 6, 33 says this. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? Jesus is going to go hard here, so just roll with me, okay? Cool. <laughs> for even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. Look at this. But love your enemy and do good and lend expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Okay, verse 36. Y'all ready? Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. What a verse. <laughs> if you like to underline, crack that, crack that highlighter open. And just snap a line right across there. Be merciful as your heavenly father. What a standard, right? Heavenly father is merciful. Not like be merciful as you feel like being merciful. Not being merciful as the convenience presents itself. Be merciful as your heavenly father is merciful. Like, okay, Jesus, maybe you could have brought it down a little bit for us. <laughs> you ever feel that? Like, as, be mer as merciful as God. Really? Okay. Anyone feel as merciful as the father? No, I mean, no. Okay. What does it mean to be as merciful as the Father? Meaning, in the way that He is merciful, be merciful. Think on that. That's big. In the way that the Father has been merciful to you, be merciful. And so Jesus, in this context, says, blessed are the merciful. Meaning, those who are merciful as the Father is merciful, for they will receive mercy. Let's talk about that today. How do we show mercy? Let me give you a couple of things. If you're taking notes, write this down. Ready? How do we show mercy? These are going to be really easy, but really important. Number one, help those in need. It's weird that this is groundbreaking. Like, the new thing in the church, like, we're so excited. The next generation is like, it's all about care. It's like, what? Okay, right on. Help those in need. I get it. Mercy is beautifully displayed in Jesus Christ, for sure. Uh, but you know, mercy is a bigger idea than even just what we see in the New Testament in Jesus. Mercy is a character of God we see displayed all throughout Scripture. All throughout. The old and the New Testament is united, guys. It's the same God, right? And if we look at the Old Testament, like, let's go to Leviticus 19. Leviticus 19 is where we first uh, get the phrase in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself. Right? This is... Uh, this is the idea of love your neighbor. This is where it comes from when Jesus quotes it later, Leviticus 19. But Leviticus 19 is an interesting thing. And again, I'm not, we're not pulling a literal principle out of this, right? So when we look at Leviticus, we're pulling the character of God and, and the biblical principle. So when I, I'm going to tell you something about farming here, but I'm not imposing this or telling you you all need to farm wheat now. Do we understand the difference? 
between allegory and literal, right? So it literally is discussing fields, but if you happen to farm, I'm not imposing this practice on you, right? This is why you can read Leviticus and see things about, like, let's say, uh, wearing mixed fabrics and be like, what is this doing? Or like, I don't know, let's say slavery and be like, I'm sorry, what? Right? He's speaking to a culture trying to express the character of God. So since we neither live in that culture or practice those things, we understand the principle of God that's being taught. We good? Okay. Well, just make sure. Don't send me weird emails like, I was reading Leviticus and it said no tattoos. It's like you're just walking into a lion's den there. <laughs> Leviticus 19.9 says, When you reap the harvest of your land, I won't get distracted, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the sojourner. In other words, there might be foreigner in your scripture. It says, I am the Lord your God. When God says that, he's being serious. Leviticus 23, 22. And when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap the field right up to its edge, nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. Okay, what's the principle here? Unless you guys are big wheat farmers, they could probably express it. But I think the idea is kind of obvious, right? Saying, listen, I know you've worked for all this. You planted this. You tilled this field. And I know you, you have a right. You could, you could go all the way to the edge. You worked for it. You made it. Go all the way to the edge. Go all the way to the fringes. Collect every part. I mean, you worked for it, right? And it is about you and what you have worked for, right? I have no idea what's happening with kids right now. Some kind of banging, <laughs> distracted thing. <laughs> but he's saying, listen, is there margin for mercy in your life? Meaning this. Listen, I know the world says, you planted it. You did this. You work for it. You should reap it. But is there something more? Was God involved at all in that process? Was God involved at all in your reaping in your life and your health and, and your harvest? And God is saying, listen, are we making room for those who are poor, for those who are on a journey, for those who are refugees, for those who are foreign? Isn't it, is this countercultural? It was countercultural then, it's countercultural now. Is there any margin in your finance for people who are poor? It's like, yeah, but they didn't work for it. They're just gleaning off the system. They're just taking for the system. Well, bring it up with God. I'm not pushing a welfare state. If you're like, oh, man, this guy, this is not what I'm saying, all right? I'm saying the mercy of our heart and our actions. The principle that's being portrayed here is in my life is there margin, in my time, in my finances, in my service, in my effort, is there margin for mercy? Or do I suck up everything for myself and say, I'm so blessed, hashtag blessed, yes. Or is there margin for mercy? Do I lean to the end or like God says, do I, do I leave opportunity for those to be brought in? And that's a powerful thing to speak to a people who have been told you're a promised land. Do not even consult to, to, to be about to intermix with the foreigners, but leave food for them. That's a powerful principle. Do not isolate, but leave margin for mercy. Everyone still with me? Yeah. Are you going to get me fired up today? I've had like eight cups of coffee. I'm flying. Let's <laughs> stay in the Old Testament. Zechariah 7, 9. Thus says the Lord of hosts, render true judgments. Show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. 
To be merciful is to care for those in need, hurting, those wandering, those broken, the outcast. James 1.27 says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. I've uh, been hanging out with uh, my son's foster dad. He's really, really cool. Uh, came on the men's hike, and something that he said to me, like, right when we met him is he said, uh, I, I don't believe that people care about orphans. And my first thought is like, no, we care. And then I was like, uh, maybe we don't. Because I started to think other than my son, who obviously was one, like, what was the last, like, orphan and widow I cared for? And there, there's a list of people that, that we minister. We have some widows in this church that we minister to. But I really got thinking, like, how much do I care? Like, God, that was, like, pretty explicit, right? Like, this isn't allegorical. This is literally James saying, like, this is what you do. And again, I'm not telling you to go out and start an orphanage and adopt 18 children. All I'm saying is, can we wrestle with the paradox of justice and mercy? Can we wrestle with the stirring in our heart? I know, like, immediately when we talk about this, you're going to want to jump on Instagram or post about it or share some kind of, like, hashtag orphan challenge, right? But that's not what we need to do. Your hashtag challenges do nothing. We need to wrestle with it. Say, God, what have you called us to do? Is this life, am I, am I gleaning to the edges of my life and of my schedule and my calendar? Is there any room? Like, are the orphans even farther? Are the widows even farther? Or have I left any margin in my life? I'm just too busy to care for orphans and widows. That's not good enough. I'm sorry, you're getting the second service reality. My mom's here, so she's affirming me, right? It works. <laughs> but it's not good enough. Not in the sense that to earn salvation, but to recognize the mercy that we've received. How could we receive such great mercy and yet give qualifiers for other people? Thank goodness Jesus had time to die for our sins. God forbid he was too busy to care for an orphan like me and to bring him into the family. And there's something that I want us to wrestle. I want us to be uncomfortable with that. I want us to stir a little bit and not skate away to Netflix or skate away into Instagram and be like, now I feel good and comfy and everything's cool and I feel nice and everything's great. Feel uncomfortable. Look at your finances and feel uncomfortable. Look at your schedule and feel uncomfortable, right? Look at your family and feel uncomfortable and go, okay, God, what have you called us to do? Because if you look that way with that kind of mercy, I believe that God will move powerfully in your life and you'll live a life of miracles and you'll live a life of just explosive possibility through the supernatural power of God. Jesus has mercy on the poor. He walks into the temple. He could have read anything. Anything when he walked into the temple. Here's what he read. He could have read anything, right? And he's God. He was there when it was written. He could have read anything. Here's what he read. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, the recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus has mercy on the poor and the unwanted. My favorite thing about Jesus, you went to a Jesus party, you're going to get everybody from the country club to the strip club. I love that. I was joking first service. I'm like, could you imagine if I invited you over to a barbecue at my house? And it was like everybody that works at Dream Palace and then like Doug Ducey's cabinet. You'd be like, what party is this? Is it a Jesus party? I'd be like, this is what the church should look like, right? Black, white, brown, everybody, right? Could you imagine? 
Everybody there? That's called heaven. That's what it's going to look like, just so you know. Matthew 25. Have you ever read a scripture and it kind of scared you a little? When I first read Matthew 25, it scared me a little. Just me? Okay, cool. I'm the only one that gets scared by the Bible sometimes. I want you to, <laughs> I want you to read this uh, in the perspective of mercy, because I think that's important, right? And when I read this to you, please do not get freaked out. Read this in the perspective of God's infinite mercy for you, okay? Okay, good, good. Matthew 25, 31 says this. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, Jesus is talking, he says, and all the angels with him, then he'll sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he'll separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, uh, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brother, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for his devils and angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, saying, Lord, when do we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and minister to you? Then he will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did not do to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. It will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal fire. Okay. If you were to be honest, that's like a little scary verse, right? If you're just like really honest, like, oh, okay, Jesus hitting hard here. Jesus could disperse a crowd. I'll tell you what. Jesus, Jesus would have been the worst megachurch pastor ever. Like he could really spread them out. <laughs> uh, get a good 10,000 people. It's like, we're going multi-site. By multi-site, I mean I'm going to say something you all hate. And you're going to leave. Um, but he had this power to him. If you're thinking, wait, does that mean like if I don't care for enough poor people? Some of you, some of you, you, you heard that verse, you read that verse, and you thought like, I got to go make a sandwich. I got to go over to Cornish Pasty, get a meat pasty. I need to take it to a homeless person or else I'm not getting into heaven, right? Like if I don't go do that right now, like Jesus is going to forgive me. I'm not going to get the mercy. I'm not going to go to heaven. I'm cast out, right? But that's not what he's saying. Let, let me give you a better question. Not like, am I going to make it into heaven? If I don't give a homeless person a sandwich today, am I going to hell? That's not let me ask you a better question. Does my heart believe when my mouth says I follow Jesus? And do my hands and feet even know what we're talking about? Right? Like, does my, does my heart actually believe me when I say, like, I've been transformed by Jesus and he lives through me. I've received his mercy. Does my heart believe that? Like, does, has it influenced my life? And have my hands and feet done any of the work of Jesus? Have I responded physically in any way to what I confess to believe of my life? Right? If you say that you are a Kansas City Chiefs fan, but, I've, but you've never watched a game, and you've never, and I see you walking around in like Miami Dolphins gear, I'm gonna be confused, right? The same thing is true. If I take on the garb of someone who is not merciful, wouldn't it be weird if I was wearing the uniform of unmercy to say that I've received mercy and I'm team mercy? It would be surprising. Be like, well, it kinda seems like you root for the Dolphins. 
they'd be the unmerciful ones. I don't. I was thinking of a team none of you guys probably root for. <laughs> the Broncos. We don't earn salvation. We're being merciful. But it's a pretty clear indicator to the world that we have received it. So when we, Jesus says, they'll, they'll, they'll know that you love me by how you love others. So when we deny mercy to others, what are we really denying them? The mercy of God. We're saying the mercy of God's not for you. This is why love the block is so important. It's why it's so important. It's how, it's how I uh, figure out the health of the church. How much do we really care for people who give nothing back to us? Right? How much? How much do we care? Are we willing to show mercy for those who are hurting and need? Are we willing to be generous? Yeah, but what do we get from it? Uh, kingdom character. The blessing of God. That's our call to show the love of Christ to those who are hurting and in need. Amen? Second thing, it's merciful to help those caught in sin. Jesus came to free us from sin. Luke 19, 10 says, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. I love Jesus spent time, like I said, the highest and the lowest in society. He did all kinds of things. He healed. There were miracles. He restored. He made wine. Like, he just went after it, right? Jesus was, everywhere he went, he was doing something awesome. But the thing that he did primarily was to preach the freedom from sin. Go and sin no more. That's what he cared about, right? Like, yeah, to heal the physical, but to heal the soul, to restore the soul. And so we are called and empowered by Scripture to rescue the soul and the hearts of our fellow man. Galatians 6.1 says, Brothers and sisters, if someone's caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. That's a powerful verse. It doesn't mean to engage in sin together, right? You can have breakthrough in your life without engaging in sinful behavior. It's like, well, you know, we had to go to this together because I'm trying to lead him to Christ. It's like, come on, man, we both know that's a lie. You just wanted to go do that, right? But there's something powerful about breakthrough that comes through. We have to have mercy on all kinds of people. Listen, if you're here today or watching online, if you are an addict, God's mercy is for you. If you're depressed, God's mercy is for you. If you're anxious today, God's mercy is for you. If you're tired, if you're worn out, if you're broken, God's mercy is for you. You're like thinking of a qualifier right now that's going to disqualify you from his mercy, but nothing will. God's mercy is for you. You know, I got to say, uh, I'm partial. I might be biased, but I really do love this church. <laughs> and uh, a couple months ago, we had a, a guy come in off the street who... A uh, really good guy, and he was he was uh, going by in his wheelchair. And one of our outside team members said, "Hey, why don't you come on in? Yeah, outside team, give it up." Uh, and he said, "I don't know if I'm welcome." And our outside team member very rightly said, "Well, if I'm welcome, you're definitely welcome," which I thought was good. He's like, "Oh, okay." So we came in, came to the front. There, he wanted to sit in the back. Like, no, man, come on up, join in. Our men's director came and sat with him and got him coffee and prayed with him. And some of our other guys gathered around him and were encouraging him. And at the moment of the altar time, he literally threw himself out of the wheelchair onto the ground, face before the Lord, gave his heart to Christ, and committed his, his soul to serve him for the rest of his life. And he told me, he said, man, I just, I just felt so welcome. I didn't think I was going to. 
And can I just tell you, it doesn't matter where you are, what your stature is, what the world says about you. You are welcome in the kingdom of God because of the mercy of Jesus Christ. Every person, we are called to have mercy. And I know it's hard when you look at people, especially if they've hurt you, to look at people in their sin, to not see that sin, but to see God's vision. It's almost like you have to have a little bit of the prophetic in you to see what they can be because of Christ and through Christ. You kind of got to get that prophetic vision through the Holy Spirit, right? One of the gifts of the Spirit is prophecy. Got to get that prophetic vision to see, God, I know, I know what they are right now, and, and they're even lashing out against me. But God, I believe, I believe in what you can do in their heart and in their life, that there's restoration, that there's hope. And can I tell you, we have a call to preach the gospel. You have a call if you know the gospel. You cannot be a cul-de-sac of the gospel. You got to be a highway. You got to share the gospel. You can't shut it up inside. You have to bring it out and continue the flow of the gospel and continue that. You can't be the dam in the river of the gospel of God, you got to let that flow go, and you have to pour that into other people, because that's our call. That's being merciful. It's not merciful to know the truth that can save a soul from an eternity of separation from God, and go every day with them and never tell them. There's hoping someone else tells your co-workers that there's a hope in Jesus Christ. And I'm not saying that's easy. I'm saying it's going to take the Holy Spirit, right? Third thing, Help those in need. Help those caught in sin. Third thing. This one gets a little few less amens. Forgive others. <laughs> forgive others. Colossians 3.13 says, Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Okay, see, there that is again. You see that last part? Have mercy as your heavenly Father has mercy. There's that last part again. Forgive as God forgave you. Man, what a qualification there. Like, what a, what a powerful statement. How did the Lord forgive me? With complete mercy. I deserve judgment. He gave me mercy. In fact, Isaiah 43 says, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. I will not remember your sins. Now, God does not have spiritual amnesia. He knows you sin. He just doesn't bring it up and throw it in your face. That's the enemy. In fact, if you're walking, I was talking about this this week. If, if you're believing for the future and you hear a voice that's like, man, you'll never be that. You can never do that. God will never do that in your life. That's the enemy. And literally, the enemy is not omniscient. He can't know that, right? Satan doesn't know the future, so how could he know what God can and cannot do in your life? He's just a liar and an idiot. But there's something powerful in that God forgives completely. The hard part is we do this like, I'll forgive, but I won't forget thing. Well then you haven't forgiven. I'm not saying it doesn't inform your understanding, but I'm saying if you constantly bring it up as an attack against the restorative work that God wants to do in their life, you have not forgiven. Do you understand the difference? Matthew 6, 14. <laughs> For if you forgive, there's a lot of scriptures today that I'm like, these are heavy. I've prayed through the scripture a lot this week. If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And put it this way. How can I be unmerciful and demand judgment upon someone else when God has been merciful and taken the judgment away from me? How can I demand judgment against others? They're like this. They deserve this. They deserve this kind of judgment. They deserve this thing. And then God's like, wait a second. Like, I rescued your soul from death. <laughs> like, you didn't deserve that at all. 
How can I require that of others when God saved me? Yes, it's hard. I get it. Forgiveness is hard, especially when it's like the real kind, not like someone cut me off in line. I forgive you. Bless up. Like real forgiveness. They really hurt you. That person in your heart really sucks, and you're really angry at them, and you're really bitter, and it's been like that for generations, right? Like I'm talking real stuff, but listen, I know it's hard, but the cross wasn't easy either, right? Like, it, it's hard, but it's good. It's difficult, but it's beautiful. It's a wrestle, but man, it's a miracle when God moves. It's powerful when God releases the bitterness that's been on for decades or generations or whatever it is in your family. And God says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. When you walk in mercy, you live a beautiful life of recognizing not only have I, do I greater understand the mercy I receive, but as I give others mercy, my life is blessed because I'm no longer shackled to the slavery of my bitterness and unforgiveness. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. How are they shown mercy? Man, you can come up. First, God invites us into an eternal relationship. If you're here today, hear me say, God's mercy is for you today, right now. God wants to invite you into relationship. Ephesians 2, 4, amen. It says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It's by grace you've been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms of Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So God is calling you into a, into a relationship of love for all eternity. I think sometimes when we begin to recognize the state of our sin, I would say, I'm a sinner, you're a sinner. We, we just, man, we get fearful, we're afraid. Man, I'm so broken. I'm so sinful. How can God love me? But God tells us in his scripture that fear has to do with punishment. And 1 John tells us that perfect love drives out fear. God says, listen, I've not come to bring punishment. I've come to bring mercy. My justice is good. I've given mercy to you. And it's good justice because I've given mercy to everyone. In your life, God is here to invite you into that relationship. To say, listen. No matter what you have come in today or you're watching online today, his mercy's for you. You say, well, what about this in my life? Yep, covers that. What about this in my heart? Yes, it covers that. His mercy, he's taken it. He shows mercy by helping in times of need. God helps in times of need. I love this about the Lord. Part of his mercy is compassion for us. It's a spiritual principle. As we are generous in our mercy, God is also generous to us in mercy. Proverbs 19, 17 says, Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. See, our generosity, our, our mercy towards others, though unrepaid by the world, is amazing because it puts the responsibility of, of honor and reward and payment to God who honors and rewards. And who would you rather have reward? Someone who created the universe or someone in the universe that was created? The scale seems grand to choose God. Matthew 6, 3, 4 says, When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. So that your giving may be in secret, and your Father, who's in secret, will reward you. Malachi 3.10 says, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in the house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of the hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more in need. 
Listen, this is a principle of when we give, it will be given. Meaning this, this is not a prosperity doctrine. This is a principle of generosity and mercy, right? That God honors the merciful heart. If we seek the honor for ourselves, then whatever you get in the world is what you get. If we seek the blessing for ourselves, then whatever you get is what you get. But if you give it to the Lord and you trust in Him and you care and you show the mercy of God, not looking for a return, but you trust God to honor, you trust God to bless, then He says, I will. Luke 6, 37, judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Let me ask a simple question today. Do you want to receive the level of mercy you give others? Like the level that you give mercy to others. Or the level you don't give mercy to others. Would you like to receive that level back? It's helpful to evaluate. Am I being merciful? Psalm 41 says, Blessed is the one who considers the poor. In the day of trouble, the Lord delivers him. The Lord protects him and keeps him alive. He's called blessed in the land. You do not give him up to the will of his enemies. The Lord sustains him on his sickbed. In illness, you restore him to health. Scripture tells us God cares for those who cares for who God cares for. Meaning this, if you're merciful to the needy, God is merciful to you. Might not look like how the world expects, but God helps the generous. He blesses the compassionate. He gives mercy on the merciful. That's a blessed life. My third and final thing, God's mercy is a blessing. It's a blessing. Not only to to get it and to give it, but to live in a a life of mercy. Man, fathers, think about this. What if on your, the final note that your sons and daughters recognized you, or moms as well, your children recognize you as they were a person of mercy. Wouldn't that be a legacy? Hey, tell me, tell me about your parents. What were they like? They were merciful. What a testimony. What a testimony. Hey, what's your church like? Man, it's so merciful. I don't even think people know what to do with that. What? So merciful. See, a life that displays the mercy of God is a blessed life. It doesn't store up anxiety, bitterness, or anger. It's not worried about what will come. It doesn't hold on to offense. It doesn't write people off. It doesn't marginalize groups based off of hurt. It has compassion over the hurting and broken. It actively works as the hands and feet of Jesus. And let, hear me say, this is what's so cool, is that when you actively work as the mercy hands and feet of Jesus, then you live a life of the miraculous. Let me give you one promise. If you act as the hands and feet of Jesus, bringing mercy, mercy to others, you will see miracle upon miracle upon miracle. People ask me, like, how do, how do you have so many testimonies of healing and life change? It's like, because I have stepped out in acts of mercy and God meets that in the miraculous. Listen, if you want a life of the miraculous, start with mercy. That's the key. A life that's merciful will be a life of an ending recognition of the divine power of God moving through you. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it's without suffering. In fact, I'm saying it will be persecuted and you will suffer, but you will walk in the glory of God and testify to the workings of God. If you live a life of mercy, you will live a life of the miraculous. And I can't think of anything better than to live a life of the miracles of God displayed through you. That's a blessing. 
to not live in the anxiety of the world, not living with the fear, not living with the division, not living with the anger or bitterness, but living in the miraculous where God is moving and healing and restoring and renewing. How many of you want mundane or how many of you want miraculous? The separation is, are we living in the mercy? If you want to see miracles, be merciful. That leads us to our prayer. How do we respond then? We have to invite the Holy Spirit to move our hearts. That not only that we might receive the mercy and understand it more fully, but that we might give it more completely. Would you stand with me today? And bow your heads and close your eyes. I just want to focus here as we close. sin and shame. Come on, let's proclaim it. Like, for taking my sin and shame and bearing them on the cross, lowered in death, raised to life, and inviting me into the resurrection. I give you my heart. All of my life, I lay at your feet. I receive today your mercy and grace. In your name, amen. Can we celebrate those in person online that raised their hand today? Jesus, we thank you. Last thing, eyes closed, head bowed for you today before our band leads us in this song. And I love what this song declares. It's exactly what we're praying today. It's very simply this. Wherever you are, whatever your heart is, is that God, would you make me a vessel? of your mercy and your peace that I might pour out into others. 
that your mercy might overflow. Give me eyes to see. Holy Spirit, give me eyes to see, spiritual eyes to see. Give me the strength to overflow, but fill me. And if today you're in this place and you're saying, Holy Spirit, I need you to fill me and I need you to overflow. I want to overflow with mercy for others. If that's you today and you want to overflow with mercy, would you just lift your hands with me? I want to lift my hands with you as well. You're saying, Holy Spirit, fill me that I might overflow with mercy. And I want to pray for you. And I just encourage you to just worship in that same heart right now in this space. Jesus, we thank you. Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you would fill every heart as we lift our hands to you here and online. God, I pray you would fill them completely by the power of the Holy Spirit with the mercy that comes from the God Most High and that you would overflow in mercy, God, to those in our family and in our work and our relationship in this city. God, we pray out of this church would overflow a river of mercy, God, a river of peace, a river that reaches out. And God, I pray in the overflow of mercy that you might do the miraculous miraculous in this city, that you might do the miraculous in this nation, that you might do the miraculous in our lives, God. We pray that in the mercy and in the walking out of the hands and feet of Jesus, that we might see the greatest testimony that our nation has ever seen, that we would be known not by the size of our structure, our systems, but by the move of the Spirit and the act of mercy of Jesus Christ. So we pray, fill us up and overflow. Fill us up Make us a vessel. Make us a vessel and overflow into the world. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to fill us up and to overflow in Jesus' mighty name.